Thank you, Nisi and Noah. Appreciate that. That's a great question, isn't it? How can I keep from singing your praise? Well, one of the reasons that we did not open with a song this morning is because I'm going to be preaching on that very topic, praise. And then I wanted to give us an opportunity to practice what we learn after the sermon. So our God tune for this morning is Psalm 111. And I've entitled it The Art of Praise because that's exactly what the psalmist engages in and teaches. Praise. So before we read the text in Psalm 111, I just want to ask a question. And that is, when we praise God, do we praise God in a way that he receives the offering that he deserves? And when we come, say, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and we have our time of praise during our worship service, are we praising God in a way that communicates his worthiness? So that's kind of starts the, the ball rolling in our minds as we think about praise and what praise is all about. Are we praising him in a way that he truly, truly deserves? We're going to learn from the psalmist's words this morning. So let's read Psalm 111. And there's only 10 verses. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The art of praise. First, I want to talk about. Personal praise, because that's how he opens the psalm. Then we'll look at public praise and then um, what I'll call pole star praise, which simply means what is the center of your attention? What is your focal point when you praise? The psalmist begins with an exhortation. He's exhorting all mankind to praise the Lord. He's declaring something that ought to be done. Praising God is something that ought to be done. And that should stop us and cause us to think immediately because we often think of praise in terms of something we do as an emotional expression or a more of a spontaneous expression of gratitude or praise or joy or even grief. And we often think that praise is something that is primarily initiated by our feelings or our emotions. And if if we're not feeling like it, then we really shouldn't do it because then it just flops. 
But praise actually is something, at least the scriptures teaches, that it is a matter of obedience before it is a matter of feelings. And we should look at it properly and approach praise as first. This is something that ought to be done. Therefore, I ought to be doing this. And secondarily, as something that we want to rally our emotions and our feelings behind. Emotions and feelings are an important part of praise. And you'll see that comes out strongly throughout the message in the psalm. But it's not the starting point of a good time of praise. Or of any time of praise. The starting point is this is something that ought to be done. As a matter of fact, praise is the second most popular exhortation or command given in all of Scripture. Every book, nearly every book, God is commanding his people and his people are exhorting his people. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is something that is very, very important to a Christian in how he lives his life. Why does God constantly remind his people to praise him? Well, for one reason, that is one of the purposes for our creation. One of the reasons that God brought us into being was to praise him. So we are to be God's songbirds, if you will. Just like the birds fill our world with their songs and their chirps. There's scarcely a place that you can go in this world where you won't hear a bird of some kind singing some kind of song. Our world is filled with bird songs. And God wants the world to be filled. He, he has created a race of people for the purpose or a certain uh, group of creation for the purpose of offering him praise. So that we fill this world with praises and songs of God. That's one of the reasons for our existence. And so... He created us to offer him praise, to fill the world with praise because he deserves it. It's something that ought to be done. It's, it's, it befits him because he is an incredible, awesome God. So we start with the obedience and then we, we add whatever we can. We bring the emotion to it. We bring, of course, the joy, which is also a matter of obedience to praise God in song. And nowhere in Scripture will you find that we should only offer God praise when we're in the right mood or when we feel like it. Now, you will find that you shouldn't fake it. You shouldn't be a hypocrite. God doesn't look at favor. You know, if we come into church as if we made the, the, the top five of um, the church's greatest praisers, when we have all this stuff in our heart, Scripture speaks against that. But nowhere will you find that it says if you don't feel like it or you're not in the mood for praise, you are excused from this pleasure, this delight and this duty. And if you think about it, it's not our feelings that determine the worth of God. It's not our mood that determines the worth of God. God is worthy all of the time. He doesn't change. There, there, there's no period of his existence where he doesn't shine as bright as he always shines. So scripture literally would say, um, get in the right mood and praise God. Get in the right mood and praise God. And that might be offensive to some. 
We're not used to hearing those kind of words because our feelings are so important. And there's a reason why that may be offensive to us. This thought that you mean I have to praise God when I don't feel like it. There's a reason, and we'll talk about that at the very end of the sermon, why that may be offensive to some people today in our culture and according to our view of God. But how do you do this? How do you praise God? Because, you know, there really are days when I'm not in the mood. And there really are times when I don't feel like it. And there are times when I have a lot of junk going on in my head and I'm concerned about real things that matter. And I'm supposed to just shift gears and now concentrate on the Lord. How does that happen? Sometimes there's just a lot of grief and sadness in our life. There's things that we struggle with. So can I do both at the same time? Can I be sad and praise God? Offer him praise? Can I be going through tumultuous times and still offer him worthy praise? How does this really work? Here's what the psalmist says. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. How many of us walked in here this morning with that kind of mindset? When it's time to praise, I'm going to do it with a whole heart. If if there was such a thing as a digital praise monitor and I could put it on your arm when you walked in the door, what would it read? Would it be uh, low, partial heart, half heart, barely alive, (laughs) needs coffee? How'd that get in there? We know that when the Old Testament talks about the whole heart, you're talking about the whole person. You're talking about your whole existence, your whole being, everything that you have, everything that you can bring to the table. You're in it with both feet. And the psalmist is saying, when I praise God, I do it with a whole heart. I bring my whole self to the table. I don't leave anything behind. That's that's his mindset. That's his determination. And there are things that really just don't do well half heartedly. You know, some things we can get away with. They're so mundane or so routine. We can get away with just kind of half motions. But there are certain skills in life. There are certain things. It just doesn't work. If you're teaching a skill um, like, like throwing a ball or something to do with baseball or or how to draw or paint like baseball. You have to concentrate. You have to look at what your trainer's teaching you and go through the motions and do the step and Put the ball to a certain place at your head and release it at a certain time. And, and if you go out on the ball field and, you, field and you just kind of do this, it just is not, it just doesn't work. It's half-hearted. It's like, well, I'm kind of, I'll get it halfway to you. Or drawing. If you want your product to look anything like the thing you're trying to copy, you have to engage your mind and, and hand-eye coordination. You have to really concentrate and really think about it, or it's not going to look anything if you just scribble something and hand it. So there, there is a practice, there's a discipline, there's a training that needs to go on because we're learning something new. And we have to train our hearts in this area of praise. The psalmist has trained his heart to be able to say, I'm going to 
That now what was well, that wasn't a mouse that just ran across the floor. Okay. I'm going to train my heart to be fully engaged. Not full of self, but I want it full of God. And he's not leaving it to his feelings. He's engaging his mind, his will, and his emotions. So in essence, it's, it's kind of going through the process. You're talking to yourself. And your mind is saying, well, well God's word says pr- to praise him. So it's good and right. And, and you get the will involved and you say, well, because it's good and right, I should want to do this. And then the mind and the will talk to your feelings and say, look, feelings, we've determined that praising God with a whole heart, it's good and right. It's honoring to him. It's what we ought to do as his children. So get on board and bring the joy and bring it on. Bring the emotion, bring the feeling. So it's a whole package that we bring to the table and we discipline, we discipline ourselves. We go through this conversation and train ourselves to praise God in this way. And then eventually, of course, it becomes more naturally. But there's always struggles. There's always hindrances. There's always competition. To praise. So just to, to wrap it up before moving on, you know, what, what do we take away just from the very first verse? That praise is a matter of obedience. Look at praise as a matter of obedience. We've moved away from that. The church at large has moved away from it and has made praise so much uh, about feelings. But even as the song for the offering is, there's a sense in which it's just it's just wrong not to offer God praise when you think about who he is. It just goes against everything as as glorious as he is. If we understand him and if we are believing this and we're seeing him as he reveals himself in his holy word, it's just wrong not to just flow the floodgates, open the floodgates of praise, adoration, thanksgiving, everything that is in there. It is a matter of obedience and our recognition of God's greatness should not hinge on our earthly circumstances. It shouldn't just hinge or stop short because of what's happening down here in our lives. Now, God cares very much about he's he's God with us. He cares very much about those things. But that's not what his greatness or his worthiness hinges on. The English word for worship comes from worth-ship. The whole idea is that you're doing this because God's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And that's our mindset there. He's, God is worthy of my praise if I've had the worst day of my life. He's worthy of my praise if I've had the best day of my life. He's worthy of my praise if I just lost something very dear and important to me. Or if I've just gained something I've always longed for. The praise is is something that should always go up rhythmically because God never changes. He's always worthy of this. So it doesn't flow from what we have to offer, but from what how worthy God is. That's how we approach praise. And it's not God's job to give us the good feelings so that we're in the mood for praise. 
So we don't want to throw that on God. Well, God, if you would just give me the good feelings, then I, I, I would, you know, then I would probably sing you a song. But I guess it's not meant to be because I don't have the good feelings right now. I'm not really in the mood. But the fact of the matter is, we can absolutely delight in God no matter what's going on in our lives. We can praise Him and delight Him and love Him in agony. Because that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where you have Christ, the Son of God, who is experiencing excruciating agony to the point of sweating drops of blood which I have never done. So the the human body, all the agony, the human body could barely take it without crumbling. And yet he is praising God and it's submitting himself to the will of his father. It, it, It brings him more delight to suffer and yet praise than to not praise at all and to not delight at all. Which means... Praise often requires self-denial and sacrifice. And we often look at praise as something that's just done when we're chirpy and cheery. But a huge part of praise is that it's done. If anyone would follow up after me, he must take up his cross and deny himself daily and follow me. Part of praise is is self-denial. Continual self-denial, continual making sacrifices, saying no to ourselves and saying yes to God. And we often look at praise as the just the good part of Christianity, where there shouldn't be any bad feelings involved. And that's when we don't have to deny ourselves. It's when we just get to express joy. And that's a part of it, but not all of it. Praise is a matter of obedience. And secondly, If God is always prepared and always worthy to be praised and worshipped, then we have to come prepared to do that. And we don't always come prepared to do that. I know I don't always come prepared to this. This message, because I read the psalm, I thought, how can can you say I'm going to come and worship him with a whole heart without Forethought, without some kind of preparation, you can't say that unless you just leave it to fate. Well, I'm hoping it'll happen. I'm hoping I'll catch the mood. He says, I will worship God with a whole heart. So there's there's preparation here. It worship praise is not meant to be hit or miss. And yet sometimes that's the mindset in, in today's church. It's just hit or miss. I hope. I hope our praise time is good this morning. I hope they sing the songs that really stir my heart and soul. Because I don't want to go home without having praised the God, praised God or felt any joy or affection. And we just like leave it to hit or miss. All based on feelings and emotion and, 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 and personal individuality. It puts way too much pressure on the songs and on the worship team. When we don't do the work and take personal responsibility for the condition of our hearts. And we come in and, and say, boy, I hope it's a good one. As if we don't have any responsibility or play any part in making a, a time where we lift our voices to God meaningful and delightful to him. Are, are you beginning to see how there 
there's kind of a shift that's taking place in the church, even our church, in our thinking in evangelicalism when it comes to praise. It's my heart's job to love God. It's my heart's job to come prepared. It's my heart, heart's job to sing and mean it. No matter what's going on in my life. To sing it heartfelt. To come predetermined. That's why I'm here. That's why we've been called together as the saints of God. Is to offer him praise. Now music is a powerful, powerful Gift from God. And just music in itself can soothe our troubled souls. It's it's meant to be that way. It's designed to be that way. Of course, it can be used for good or ill, as we know. It's, It's designed to be a blessing to us and to return to God as a blessing. But in order for it to be a blessing, there is preparation that needs to take place. So if you think about it, the things in your life that are important to you, whether it's duty or delight, you prepare for. So if you got to work, if it's duty, I got to work, say I got to work tomorrow. So you're thinking to yourself, I got to work tomorrow. It's going to be really hot. So I want to, I'm going to lay out my clothes. I have in mind what I'm going to wear before I go to bed. It's going to be something light. And um, I got to, got to have a pack of lunch. So I've got something in the refrigerator. I got plenty of water packed. It's going to, you're thinking ahead. You're preparing because it's something you're, you're going to engage in. You're going to be out there and you're going to do. You're putting time. You're putting effort. You're putting thought into it. Or if it's delight, I'm going to King's Dominion tomorrow. I can't wait. I'm going to do a lot of walking. So I'm wearing very comfortable shoes. I'm going to dress. You know, I got shorts and a light shirt on. And uh, I got to bring my, pack my courage. In my in my backpack because I'm going to hit the rides. They're going to scare me. And uh, I'm going to pack my, what is it, uh, echinacea or whatever to keep me from getting nauseous and seasick. Dramamine. If you're quirky, you're going to pack your Dramamine so you don't throw up after you get on the coaster and other people. Or other. And so, but you're thinking of these things. I need my money. You don't want to go without money because there's things are expensive there, right? And you, but you're you're preparing for these. You, it's important to you. Therefore, you are putting time and effort into what you know you either have to do tomorrow or you want to do. And the idea is that, yeah, there is such a thing as spontaneous praise that can happen anytime. But praise in general, the foundation of it is that it's a matter of obedience because God is worthy. We're designed to do it, to fill the earth with songs about God. And we, we have to prepare ourselves to do that because it's not always going to be something that we feel like doing or that we're in a mood to do. So if it's important to us, then we're going to put time and effort into it. Now, for some of us, what does that mean to prepare for worship? Well, obviously, you know, if you're going to sing praise to God and not fake it and you got junk in your heart, you're going to want to deal with that before you come uh, to your personal devotion, if you know that's what you wake up to or before you come to the congregational meeting and you know you're going to sing. You want to start dealing with that. That doesn't mean that your heart has to be perfectly right because sanctification takes time. It's a process, but it means I am being mindful of the stuff between God and I and I'm in communication with him and he knows that I'm praising him while I'm working on this, but I have every intention to repent of this sin or I have every the sin of commission or omission. I have every intention of doing what God is calling me to do. I'm just working through it. So 
and, and, and I'm still in the wrong, but but you know that you've touched base with them. You don't just come in and act like everything's good. There's preparation that takes place. What what does God require of you? When you stand before him with praise, we want to be we want to plead the blood of Christ. To prepare to praise God is to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded that I can even stand in his presence because I have been forgiven. That my little squeaky voice delights God because Christ removed all the sin out of it, all the junk out of it. And so it's acceptable to him. I want to be preparing myself to realize it's not that, that he's he's loving my song because of my voice or because of my righteous lifestyle. I just nailed it this week. Some of us, it might mean going to bed earlier, really practical things. So I'm not yawning the whole time. When everybody else is singing praise to God and, it, and I don't have a good reason for it, I just stayed up and self-indulged last night with games or movies and I'm pretty tired and it's hard to get into this song with the congregation because, you know, of some unwise choices. So preparing for praise in order to come with a whole heart, that might be a decision that some of us have to make. Or, God forbid, it might even mean leaving earlier to get to church a little earlier on Sunday mornings. So we have a habit of that. Now, we start we're supposed to start at 1030 and we have determined to get we were starting at about quarter till. And so we determined we got to do something, but we don't want people to just not come to church. So we can't actually start at 1030. I'm being facetious, but 1035, I think, is a gracious. It's a gracious time. And there's a reason for that. As a matter of fact, there's a reason that we started the, the call to worship thing where someone gets up here and reads a scripture. It's because as much as important as fellowship is in a church, there's also a time to actually stop the fellowship because you can't fellowship and focus on God at the same time. So somewhere, somewhere down the line, somebody has to say, hello, it's time to start transition and your conversation. And let's do this. So we started the call to worship. And, and honestly, we're still working on that. It's still uh, still a little of a, a, a bit of a battle to get our mindset into, OK, I, if I want to greet somebody here and not inter, interfere with worship time, praise time, I probably ought to get here a little earlier. It's a transition. It's a training. It's a discipline that we are in the process of going through. So it's it's a preparation. Coming with this kind of heart. Can you imagine if we came with that kind of heart, all of us, and we're prepared to worship? I, I, I think it would enhance our atmosphere. I think it would really encourage all of us in our praise to God. It's the right thing. So songs are a matter of obedience and we want to come properly prepared in our praise and not just leave it to hit or miss or to our emotions. And then second, public praise. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Have you ever thought, why do I have to sing with other people? What is this Christian stuff? They get together and they sing with When I go to, to uh, ball practice, we don't as a part of our practice, sing songs together and then practice batting and pitching. I mean, what's this Christian thing about singing together? Why do they do that? Why, why can't I just um, 
sing in the shower and where the acoustics are better and I enjoy my voice more and I'm surely God would enjoy that. And why can't I just praise him and offer my whole heart on the way to church with with the music blasting and and bolts and nuts falling off the vehicle because of the bass that's turned all the way up and 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 people calling the police on that car that's breaking the the um, the laws of of uh, the decibels or whatever it is. What is it? What are the laws for the sound? Oh, no, I thought it was more professional sounding, but noise ordinance. So why can't I just do that? I mean, I like it. Surely God likes it. I am giving him my whole heart. What's this congregational stuff? Company. Why do I have to have company? Well, because it turns out the scripture teaches that your Christianity is actually not just about you. That your salvation is personal and individual and your personal individual salvation is to be lived out in community. So Christianity is an us faith. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. It's a community thing. Everything that we are called to do individually and held personally responsible for that, God says and teaches in his word, actually, also I want you to do it together. Everything you do in your Christian life, I want you to do it together. It's communal. It's, it's, it's intended to be expressed publicly, your faith. Remember Jesus' high priestly in, uh, priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying for unity. That they may be one as we are one. Unity is a lot more important to God than it is to us. We're, we're so busy trying to be individualistic, especially in our culture. And here's Jesus praying that we would be one. Unity is so important to God. And yesterday I had an opportunity to officiate a wedding ceremony between Shane and Jordan. And as I was preparing for it, I made a statement in that in that um, message that I'd never made before. But as I thought about marriage and becoming one flesh and God's heart and design for marriage as two becoming one as a team. I use the term it's it's a ministry of oneness because just Oneness ministers to God. Just being of like-mindedness. That, that team mindset, the togetherness, the harmony. That alone ministers to God. It is such an important part of our Christian faith and our Christian community. God is after this. And so we're singing about our faith together. We're singing about the gospel truths, but we're doing it together. We're getting excited about them together. In fact, through the centuries, the church used singing as a means to teach God's revealed word. Because when you sing the truths of the gospel, it gets it deep down into our heart. I think there's even a song about getting it deep down into your heart by singing it. You see, important singing and praising is... Several months back, um, Shoko and Noah attended a worship conference in Roanoke. And the guest speakers, I know, was Keith Getty. Was Kristen, uh, Kristen Getty there? 
was. Um, so both of them were there teaching it. Oh, just Keith. Oh, OK. So just Keith was there. Now he is uh, they're, they're modern day hymn writers and they wrote the song that we love and sing in Christ alone. So um, they were giving a workshop on worship. And after the workshop, um, Shoko took the time to actually prepare some notes and then gave them to me, which actually was awesome. Thank you so much for that, Shoko. And I was just reading it and it was so incredible. But one of the things he says based on the first Peter passage in chapter two, four and five, it talks about us as living stones. He says and a lot and all this is paraphrased, by the way. Um, when we sing together, we're showing how we are a congregation of living stones. Our singing is an audible expression of the bonds we share. We are cut from the same cloth, the same element of faith, united in one Lord, Lord filled with one spirit, brought into one church to offer our praise. And then he goes on to offer a warning. And he says, we live in a time when the importance of music in church has been elevated greatly. But at the same time, we're in danger of lowering the importance we place on singing together. So the sound and the technology, it is, it's gotten incredibly advanced. And it's much better than it was when I first became a Christian. We've really advanced in that. But have we advanced in our singing together? Have we advanced in our Coming to praise with a whole heart. Strong, heartfelt, congregational singing, he says, is a striking expression of people working out their salvation together. We're singing about the very things that we share in Christ. He says many of the people in the churches that the Apostle Paul wrote to, they had little in common. A lot of the people in the early churches and we still find this today. They're, they're, they're multicultural. And they don't have a lot of things in common. But what they did have in common was their faith in Christ. And what the Bible taught of them. He said the spirit of Christ was their bond. That's what they had in common. And it brought them together more powerfully than any other thing that they didn't have in common. Or that they didn't have that they did have in common. And Paul says that is the bond. And then in Ephesians, the apostle says in Ephesians five eighteen through 20. Be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we come to our time of worship. And we come with a lot of personal preferences, don't we? I mean, we have personal preferences. You can't help it. There are things I like and there are things I don't like. What, what do I do with all that? How firmly do I stand on getting my way when it comes to matters of praise and worship? We, and the apostle realizes, and it, and it happened in the church, that personal preferences can be very, very divisive, even in who you follow. I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. But they're both teaching the truth. The truth. That's the important thing. That's what that's where the unity comes from. That's where the focus should be. So our our flesh could really be divisive in our times of worship. 
insisting that we get our way or having our little private protests when we don't. Nobody knows it, but I'm protesting in my heart because I didn't like that song. We can. So what do we do with that? Was all members of the same family, we all have to do our part. And that is coming prepared and realizing that we're here to concentrate on what we have in common and minister to God in the unity of oneness and the ministry of oneness. There's so much in Christ that we have in common that we leave the other things as of lesser importance. You know, I used to joke years ago before some of your time, not all of you, but um, I don't think we're still in the worship wars. I think we've kind of come out of the worship wars. But when the, the praise songs entered the church, uh, there was big competition between praise songs, chorus songs and hymns. And it didn't go well. And there was a lot of fighting and divisiveness about who's going to do what. And um, everybody decided what songs they liked the best and what it really meant to worship God and praise God. And my answer to that was that everybody should come. We should we should have at the foyer. We should provide for you earbuds with your own iPods or pads for your own playlist. And then we just do set the clock for 20 minutes and you can praise God to your own preference. And there'll be no fighting, no division. We'll just be loving some of we can close our hands. I mean, close our eyes, lift our hands because everything is going just as it needs to, to delight our souls. Now, would that solve the problem? Would that be honoring to God? Obviously not. That's not the answer. To find ways to get our way without being divisive. The answer is there's self-denial that has to take place. There's self-sacrifice. The answer is there are certain things we have to be determined on. And the thing is to seek God and to please God and to honor God with our lives and our voices. We won't have unity without personal self-denial and sacrifice. Martin Luther says that music is a gift of God and that singing makes strong churches. Singing together makes strong churches. And Keith Getty goes on to say the sight and sound of a congregation singing praise to God together is a radical witness in a culture that rejects God and embraces individualism. Our songs are the public manifesto of what we believe. So when we come and we have our times of praise, it's not just about getting the words right and so forth. We are literally singing the very thing that we have based our lives on. We are singing, we have put to music the truths that drive us, the principles by which we live, the decisions that we have made, the direction that we are taking our lives. We're singing about those together. The gospel. So obviously, if we believe it, we're going to sing it with a whole heart. And then lastly, pole star praise. I know it doesn't fit, but. Personal, public, pole star, they all begin with a P. But it's an actual, very appropriate word because the pole stars say it's like the North Star in the sky. It's that one big illuminary um, that everybody knows it's there. Everybody can see it and focus on it. And if I say, let's all rally under the pole star, no matter where you are in the world, if it's nighttime, you can see it. 
And then everybody knows that we're all going in the same direction and we're all going to meet in the same place. So you have this focal point. You could say a lighthouse as well, but it's not a it's not a P word. It's an L word. So it's the pole star. And so everybody knows. And and when it comes to worship, there is absolutely one center of attention, one focus that every mind and heart needs to be on. And that is God. That's the whole reason for praise. It's not about self. It is absolutely about bringing the self in to focus on the light of God. The psalmist tells us that, that that's our aim of our worship is to focus on thanking and praising God. Of course, for who he is. Then he goes on and talks about how do we thank him? We're thanking him for his works in verse two. Great are the works of the Lord studied. By all who delight in them. And you thought you didn't have to study when you came to Christianity. It was all a feeling, gushy, emotional thing that just came natural through the Holy Spirit. And you didn't have to work for it and think hard about it. And here's the psalmist saying, studying. Studied by all who delight in them. God and his works. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. Charles Spurgeon says this. There's something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity. So deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. Now, he who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. Science, whatever it is, ennobles and enlarges his mind. I dare say it does. But nothing will so enlarge the intellect. Nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Sometimes the very thing that our flesh resists. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to recount my week and think about all the things he does. I'm I'm too grief stricken. I'm too tired. I'm too lazy. I'm too whatever. And sometimes it's that very thing that we need to rally us, to heal us. To quiet us. To minister to our own souls. So I invite you to do that this morning. As we praise in a few minutes. As we praise God to contemplate. To think deeply about His works. Because that's our aim. And then even more specifically as we think about His works. What works? Well then the psalmist goes on to describe God's works of redemption. Because there are the works of creation, which is a beautiful thing. But without the works of redemption, where would we be? And so praising God involves contemplating the works of redemption. He talked about in verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him. And then verse 6, he shows his power of works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. He sent redemption to his people. He commands His covenant forever 
Holy and awesome is his name. The psalmist is recounting the deliverance from Egypt. He's remembering that we used to be in bondage. We, we were an enslaved people. And God in his love and his power and his care, he took us out from that. And he gave us his laws. And he gave us a land that we didn't even work for. And he put it in it. It's a promised land. And he made a covenant with us to make good on his promise. Things that we didn't even deserve. So they get excited about the works of redemption and sing about those things. So that is what we focus on with our praise. The works of God, the works of redemption. And we marvel them. We ponder them. We take joy in them. And then lastly, as we close, and this isn't a point, it's just something to consider, because at the beginning of the message, I said the, the, the statement that I made that scripture says, get in the mood and praise as opposed to waiting for the mood or waiting for whatever to come to blow by and you catch it and then you join. The, the proper statement would be scripture says, get in the right mood and praise. And that may be offensive to some. Why? Because traditionally. The teaching of Christianity or the traditional view of God is that we exist for him. We are here for him. We are here to breathe for him, to live for him, to work for him, to play for him. Everything we exist for him to glorify him in every minute. And the modern view has become that God actually exists for us. And that it's God's job to cater to me. And he loves me and he created me and I'm a special child. And it's his job to see to me and to care for me. And he works his wonders to do that. And the shift that has taken place is really that I'm not here to be an instrument of praise. But God is a powerful God to minister to me. That little subtle shift. So we we make demands of God. Instead of understanding the demands of God in Scripture. And we focus on ourselves instead of his character. And what it means is that a shift has taken place and our new goal, our new pole star is not God, but really it's our personal happiness. Because. You hear people in the church make statements like this when it comes to ministry in general, but praise and worship. I'm not going to do that because I don't feel like it. Or why would I do that? I'm not getting anything out of it. Because all of a sudden, Christianity and faith came about what I can get out of it. Now, what just happened there? I just put myself on the throne and I took God off of it. Because... Traditionally, God was on the throne and it wasn't about me in that way. So my God has become my happiness. And that's a big problem, not only because it's just really wrong, but because it's counterproductive. The scripture teaches that happiness is very important, but you don't get it by seeking happiness. You get it as a byproduct of seeking God. That's what we learn in the Beatitudes. It's a byproduct. It's something that comes to you as you are obeying God and seeking God. So in Matthew 5, 6, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. 
He doesn't say, blessed are those who seek after the feeling of fullness and satisfaction. He says, you will get the satisfying feelings of fullness as you seek after me. As you seek after righteousness. It's a byproduct. And we, we, we are happy and joyful and well satisfied as we put God first. And when we love God in this way, we put everything in its proper perspective. The idea of obedience, the idea of preparing our hearts, the idea of what am I really focusing on? The, am I hung up over the font that they use to display the words? Am I hung up over the, the red thing on the mic? You know, the, what are we focusing on? Yeah, you can be. That's possible. And not everything goes right. And it can be frustrating. But what are we focusing on? What is the whole purpose of praise? But to offer and exalt God. So we exist as a church to exalt God. To edify the saints and to evangelize. Also praising him is an important part of why we even are called together at all. So the exhortation from the psalmist and what we take home is that we can learn from this. And become a stronger church through the ministry of oneness to God in our praise. So we get to practice that. Guys if guys and girls, if you come forward, worship team, we get to practice worshiping God, praising God with a whole heart this morning.